Welcome to Allergy Times. I'm Dr. Zachary Rubin, and my podcast is all about allergies and immunology. This is a podcast meant to educate the public and not intended as medical advice. Further questions should be directed towards your allergist if you have concerns about your own health. Food allergy is a large topic to cover, so I will not be going over everything in one episode. For this episode, I'll be talking about the diagnosis of food allergy. Questions regarding the natural history and treatment of food allergy will be addressed in future episodes. The goal of this episode is to help the general public understand what food allergy is and the challenges in making a correct diagnosis. First, I need to be briefly on my soapbox. One of the most difficult challenges for allergists is making a correct diagnosis of food allergy. I have seen many referrals where the patient comes in with all sorts of food allergy testing that led people to believe that they were allergic to multiple foods, when in fact, they are not. Food allergy testing can be harmful if done improperly. Anyway, I digress. First, the basic question is, what is food allergy? It is defined as an adverse health effect occurring from a specific immune response which is reproducible on exposure to a given food. This definition encompasses a wide variety of disorders because the mechanisms are diverse. Food allergy can be potentially life-threatening. I'm going to go over some of the potential mechanisms for food allergy. First, the classic mechanism for food allergy that most people are familiar with is called an IgE-mediated process. You may remember this from my previous episode discussing anaphylaxis. An IgE-mediated mechanism involves a protein called IgE, which is an antibody produced by your immune system. Think of this as the allergy antibody. In order for this process to occur, initial exposure to an allergic trigger, food in this case, causes production of the specific IgE antibody. This process is known as sensitization. Upon subsequent exposure to the allergic trigger, the allergen combines with the specific IgE antibody on your cells of the immune system called mast cells and basophils to trigger the release of many chemical messengers, leading to the clinical picture of anaphylaxis. Now, some people may have detectable food-specific IgE antibody present without a true food allergy, so no reaction will occur if you eat that food. There are many reasons that this may occur, but I'll give you one example for now. When you consume food, you digest it to the point that the food proteins are in very tiny pieces. Some of these proteins may be too small for the IgE antibodies to detect them and cause a reaction. I will talk more about this in a bit after I go over some other types of immune-mediated reactions to food. Now, there is another type of food allergy that is IgE-mediated, but that's not considered to be life-threatening. This is called oral allergy syndrome. This is when people who have environmental allergies complain of itching in their mouth after eating fresh fruits, vegetables, and even nuts. It turns out that proteins in these foods are also seen in the proteins of pollen, so those who have pollen allergies may experience this phenomenon. Fortunately, this is not a life-threatening reaction because these proteins are labile, meaning they're easily degradable. People who experience oral allergy syndrome often report that they have no symptoms if the food is cooked. So, for example, if someone has an oral allergy to fresh apples, they can tolerate apple pie with no symptoms. 
If someone potentially has oral allergy to nuts, though, this needs to be discussed with an allergist as this is a trickier situation. Now, there are other immune-mediated reactions to food that are non-IgE-driven. I'll discuss two examples for now. The first is called eosinophilic esophagitis, or EOE for short. Normally, the esophagus does not have a white blood cell called eosinophils present. However, EOE is a condition where eosinophils congregate in the esophagus. This can lead to all sorts of symptoms depending on the age of that person. For example, young children may have vomiting, fussiness during meals, and food refusal, which can lead to poor growth. In older children and adults, there may be abdominal pain, chest pain, heartburn, vomiting, and a feeling that food gets stuck. In severe cases, food can get stuck in the esophagus. Food can potentially be a trigger of EOE symptoms, and the diagnosis is done by an endoscopy and biopsy of the esophagus. The last example of an immune-mediated reaction to food that I'm going to discuss is something called FPIES. This stands for Food Protein-Induced Enterocolitis Syndrome. FPIES is a severe condition characterized by vomiting and diarrhea that can progress to dehydration and shock. This disease primarily affects infants, and the main trigger is cow's milk, followed by soy. There's no blood test for this condition, so the history mainly drives the diagnosis. Fortunately, most infants outgrow FPIES. Now, circling back to the traditional IgE-mediated food allergy story. The truly gold standard test for food allergy is called an oral food challenge. This is where someone eats the suspected food in small but incremental doses in a medically supervised setting to determine whether someone is truly allergic. This type of testing is not typically the first test to start with because it carries a risk of an allergic reaction and it's limited by time and resources. Instead, the safer alternative is to perform skin and blood tests. The food allergy skin test involves introducing a drop of food extract into the top layer of the skin and observing for a hive within 15 minutes of placing that test. If a hive is present, then this is evidence that the IgE allergy antibody is present. This means that there is a potential for a food allergic reaction to occur. The keyword is potential here. Now, a history of an allergic reaction to the food that's reproducible plus skin testing approximates the diagnosis of food allergy. Further testing may be necessary by examining the blood for the food-specific IgE antibody level. This blood test further helps us define the level of risk for a food allergic reaction. Certain foods have well-defined diagnostic decision points based on this blood test, which includes for egg, milk, and peanut. These levels can help allergists decide whether someone may fully tolerate an oral food challenge and possibly outgrow food allergy. There is newer blood testing that's called component-resolved diagnostics that looks at more individual parts of the specific food allergen to help make food allergy diagnosis more accurate. Another test that's not widely available yet but is currently on the horizon is something called basophil activation testing, which may help make food allergy diagnosis even more accurate. Keep in mind that food allergy testing is not fully accurate unless there is a good history accompanying the testing. 
The story really needs to include details of symptoms that resemble an IgE-mediated reaction, such as hives, swelling, vomiting, wheezing, coughing, shortness of breath, and or a drop in blood pressure. These need to occur within minutes to a couple of hours after consuming the food. Ideally, this should also be a reproducible story. If these details aren't occurring, then the likelihood of having an IgE-mediated food allergy is low. This is why it's not recommended to get a panel of food allergy tests. I'm going to say that again. Food allergy panels are not helpful in diagnosing food allergy. One of my Twitter followers asked me, what blood testing, if any, should be ordered by a non-allergist doctor? My opinion is that no testing should be ordered until someone sees an allergist. This will help decrease confusion and help avoid overdiagnosing food allergy. What I want to help people understand is that food allergy testing can be harmful if not done properly. A misdiagnosis can lead to a lot of problems. Think about it. Food allergy is a potentially life-threatening disease, which has significant quality of life issues, not only for the individual, but for their families and the community. Therefore, we must be thoughtful about our approach in helping people navigate these complicated issues. Lastly, I want to discuss the difference between food allergy and food intolerance because many people have asked me this question and it's an important distinction. As mentioned earlier, food allergy is a potentially life-threatening condition and can present with symptoms of hives, itching, swelling of the skin, vomiting, and problems breathing. This is a process that's reproducible and caused by your immune system. Small quantities of food can cause this reaction. We have testing for this process. However, food intolerance is a problem with digesting or breaking down the food. This could be due to a deficiency in the enzymes responsible for breaking down the food, sensitivity to food additives, or reactions to naturally occurring chemicals in the food. Fortunately, food intolerance is not a life-threatening situation, and small amounts of the food may be tolerated without any problems. Symptoms of food intolerance may include nausea, abdominal pain, bloating, and diarrhea. Unfortunately, there are not many reliable tests to diagnose food intolerance. Instead, keeping a food diary and considering a food elimination diet may help identify these symptoms. You may have heard of food sensitivity tests that can be taken at home. I would strongly advise against the use of these tests because what they are testing for may not be helpful at all. First, we have already established that testing for IgE antibody should not be done unless talking with an allergist given the potential for false positive reactions. Many home kits instead test for an antibody called IgG. This can be very misleading because companies may try to sell this as saying that, and I'm actually quoting from one company's website here and saying this, they'll say things like, a higher IgG reactivity level can mean that there's a possibility that food can be giving you symptoms, making that food an ideal candidate to include in your list to initially remove in a temporary elimination diet and add back challenge. This is a very misleading statement. First off, IgG is an antibody produced by memory cells of your immune system. If you have high levels of this antibody for a given food, then it really means that you're exposed to it on a regular basis, and that it's more likely meaning that you are tolerant to that food, not intolerant. This is more of a protective antibody. So this type of testing really should not be performed for people. So with that, 
I thank you so much for listening to me talk about food allergy diagnosis. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to future episodes of this podcast. Feel free to send me questions or ideas for my future episodes on my Twitter at Ruben underscore allergy. Again, that's R-U-B-I-N underscore allergy. Remember, folks, the world of allergy is common and confusing, and I'm happy to clear up the confusion along the way. Take care.